The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. And good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host today, Jonathan Luthier, and uh, we're excited to have you listening on this fine uh, what feels like an early spring day here in New England. It's about 55 degrees here, which is unusual for us. But we're in early February, and uh, we're just around the corner from the presidential primary. So it's a busy time here in the state of New Hampshire where we're, we're broadcasting from. So uh, and a big issue for, uh, for this election, for this campaign, but more importantly for the community uh, around us here, and it is, which is a similar concern to communities all around our country, is the alarming epidemic of uh, drug overdoses and, and overdose death that's happening in our country. In the state of New Hampshire alone, uh, the, the number topped over 400 overdose deaths in the year 2015, just in one year, and that was the highest on record. Uh, we've got a huge problem in our cities and towns and small communities, and um, you know, we need a, a concerted effort and a lot of collaboration. Uh, to overcome it. So uh, we're really excited to have our guest today who's got an under- who has a, a deep understanding of um, not only addiction but, but recovery and how, we can, how people can pull together in their communities. So it's my, uh, my pleasure to introduce Michael DeLeon, and Michael is the founder of Steered Straight, which is a nonprofit organization that's designed to carry a message to youth and young adults regarding the extreme dangers of drugs gang involvement, and criminal activity. Uh, Michael has also founded the Project Pride program, which messages that consequences can be severe and life-lasting from involvement with drugs and gangs. Uh, Michael delivers a powerful message that's not only informational for all who hear his story, but a powerful cautionary tale as well. In working with local agencies, schools, and law enforcement, Michael is able to impact an entire community to work as a catalyst for change. Michael, I'm, I'm really pleased, uh, and I'd really love to, to welcome to the show today. Yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity, uh, and thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And, you know, um, I don't know about these numbers. You know, uh, certainly the state of New Hampshire has never seen an epidemic like this uh, of drug overdose deaths, and um, and the response from the from the entire state. Uh, has been mixed and it's been slow at times. It's been confusing at times, and um, I think you know there certainly is a lot of concern for it. But I'm not sure that uh, you know that, that everybody is on the same page in terms of how to how to solve this challenge. Um, I don't think uh, well, everyone, many people are on this page, but I don't think everyone's on the same page. I think we're working in silos. Um, you know, the state medical examiner, you mentioned New Hampshire, state medical examiner said in, uh, you know, 2015, it was 295 deaths connected to opioids. Uh, the projected number of deaths, uh, was expected to hit, you know, 357, 361 
the suspected overdoses were confirmed by tox reports. But, um, you know, 183 of those overdoses in 2015 involved fentanyl, adulterated heroin, so a drug that's even stronger than heroin. Um, this past week, the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee took hearing on this epidemic. Uh, many people testified. One of the people that testified was the uh, police chief from Manchester, uh, who came down and was discussing this exact uh, point, um, fentanyl and heroin. And just the other day, there was a huge gang bust in Boston where over 50 um, MS-13 members were arrested, rounded up in Boston, Massachusetts. I mean, you've got cartels, uh, systemic suburban gang migration. You've got cartels in Boston, uh, in New England. You've got fentanyl numbers skyrocketing. Uh, just according to the New Hampshire Medical Examiner, 135 deaths had fentanyl uh, in it that was just straight fentanyl um, in New Hampshire last year. It's, it's real, and it's getting much worse. And this is something I've, you know, I began fighting in New Jersey um, with some uh, outreach programs in schools and documentary films that I made. And I did a national version of the film and traveled the country. And uh, it's, I found it everywhere. I found this epidemic in every state I visited. I visited 40 states. And uh, I'm trying to get the word out, awareness while at the same time trying to make a call to action to collaborate. I want to collaborate. We, we have to work together on this problem. Law enforcement can't do it. Legislation can't do it. Even schools, um, communities, parents who lost their children, starting foundations. The treatment industry is a, an abysmal failure. Um, we can't work in silos. We have to come together, and we have to make some serious changes. Yeah. Well, say more about that in terms of the treatment industry. What, what's behind your statement that we that you, you know it's an abysmal failure? Well, treatment for the most part, um, you know, is the same as it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, uh, and the drug epidemic is different. This was created. The, the um, heroin has been around, you know, forever. I get that. It's never been around to the volume it, it is. It, it at in the location that it is. It's never been a rural or suburban epidemic. And that was brought into that demographic by the over-prescribing and general prescribing, uh, unnecessary prescribing, of opiate medication for chronic pain in this country. And we unfortunately have uh, an opiate problem where we use 80 to 90% of the world's pain medication. Um, and once people use opiates for an uh, extended period of time or even a brief period of time, unknowingly become hooked on their opiates, and 75% of people who find themselves on heroin found their way there through an opiate dependency, and which became an opiate addiction. So this is a pharmaceutical-created epidemic where it is, and it was uh, now this happened in a perfect storm. Across the country, we were legalizing marijuana for, you know, supposed medical purposes and now recreational purposes. So at the same time, we really took the medical, the medicine uh, 
of marijuana concept and took the Mexican marijuana market away. And so the cartels moved into opiates as our opiate need and dependency in this country was climbing. And so once people can't get their prescription medication anymore, they turn to heroin and the cartels are moving heroin into this country in purity levels and in volume that the DEA and Haida and law enforcement has never seen before. Across the country, law enforcement reporting, they've done more confiscations in the last year than they have in the last five years as far as weight, as far as busts. So this is a new kind of treatment. Uh, this is a new kind of epidemic that needs a new kind of treatment. The same kind of things that we're dealing with alcohol and marijuana, cocaine back in the day, is just not going to work these days. It's just not going to work. So we have to change the way we treat in this country. And now heroin and opiates is a much more serious um, addiction. We can't send kids to outpatient treatment and expect them to succeed. We can't send them to 5, 14, 28 days of treatment and expect them to succeed. They need long-term treatment, and we're not giving it to them. So we're sending kids away to treatment for 28 days, and then they're coming home and failing. Um, four years ago, I decided I wanted to become a drug counselor, and for the kids that I was counseling, I had a caseload of 26. Four of the kids that I was counseling in a 10-day period died of a heroin overdose. And I went to four funerals, uh, an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, a 22- and a 23-year-old. I went to four funerals. I've been to 120 funerals since then. 116 more, 120 funerals. Um, we have a branch in Indiana, um, and I have a director in Indiana, and three nights ago she found her son overdosed uh, on heroin. I'm going to my 121st funeral, and I'm going to be giving the eulogy on Wednesday night. Um, it's everywhere. It's epidemic. It's getting worse. And we need to change treatment in this country to longer periods of time. We cannot expect these kids to go away for 28 days and get treatment for a dependency or addiction that was, you know, years in, in the making. So we have to change. We, we, we just have to change. So that's, you know, there's great treatment in this country. There's great counseling in this country. There's amazing programs. But... We're spending $37 billion a year on treatment in this country, and for the most part, we have a 5 to 10% success rate. So I really don't think any business in America would survive uh, with those kind of successes. So we need to change it. So, and I think, you know, to kind of cap what you're saying, too, you know, we're treating addiction like an acute illness, but it's really a chronic disease. And exactly. it requires, exactly. you know, it requires a commitment of time, energy, and resources uh, to help people recover from. And, and right. our traditional models that, you know, were born out of, you know, the changes in payment structures, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, you know, have, have essentially created a, an entire mindset that you just, you go away for a couple of weeks and you come back and you're better. But, you know, it's, this is more like diabetes than it is a broken leg, which we know. Right. And like going uh, away know, for a... 28 days and coming back, uh, there's so, so many other factors that aren't even considered. I mean, the family needs treatment, too. Uh, the family has been affected by the disease of the loved one, and the family needs to, to go more to, you know, they need more than Naranon meetings, uh, and many families don't even do that. The family needs to understand they didn't cause it, but they can't control it and can't cure it, but they need treatment, too. They've been affected just like the person who's suffering. Um, and 28 days is not going to cut it. It's barely a detox. Um, 
we get calls every single day from kids. Uh, you know, the Affordable Care Act was supposed to solve all our problems, but it, it really, in some ways, made matters worse. We saw it throughout New England and throughout New Jersey, New York, Connecticut. We saw kids who's now on their parents' insurance policies to 26 um, go down to Florida or go to some treatment program on their parents' insurance company uh, benefits and come home after a month and then, you know, not want to hang out with their friends again, want to do the same old thing, not really being committed to a recovery, and then they just decide, well, I'll just go back to Florida for 30 days, you know, and the parents' insurance card became an American Express card. Mm-hmm. And, and that happens systemically. Uh, but we get calls from kids every single day whose, whose benefits just don't cover uh, treatment. And, you know, in New Jersey, we've got a real epidemic. We have Medicaid in New Jersey, and if these kids... You know, 50% of the kids who need treatment in New Jersey don't have any insurance, not even Medicaid. But another 30%, 40% have Medicaid, and they cannot get inpatient treatment with their Medicaid. Um, All they can get is detox. So they detox them, then what happens? I mean, we... This is a problem. It's affecting everybody in our country. The numbers are worse than they've ever been. And I, I believe the next wave of synthetics and fentanyl are, are coming into this country in huge volume. And I think the numbers are going to get a lot worse. I believe that this is an epidemic that will not get better. We won't see subsiding numbers of overdose deaths until 2020. And I know that makes me sound like an alarmist. Um, I've been called Chicken Little. I'm running around the country telling everybody the sky's falling, and um, I, I really don't think I'm exaggerating. I think it's it's worse than people admit it to be, and I think it's going to get a lot worse. Right. Well, you know, Michael, I think uh, there's a lot of evidence for that, but I think we also have to stay hopeful. And when we come back from the break, we're going to um, you know maybe talk about you know, how we start to, to tackle the, the challenge, you know, uh, collaboratively in communities, and uh, we'll be right back after this two-minute break. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black and Dari Samia. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
We are bombarded daily with information about beauty products and anti-aging treatments. Do you know how they have been tested? Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. We'll bring you the top-rated skincare products and treatments tested by Real Transformation Skin Care Centers. We'll motivate you to make the best changes. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and today's show is Straight Talk on the Drug Epidemic. We're joined by Michael DeLeon, who's the founder of Steered Straight, which is a nonprofit organization that's helping to carry a message to youth and young adults about the extreme dangers of drugs, gang involvement, and criminal activity. Now, before we went to break, you know, we really kind of touched on a lot of, uh, a lot of the um, factors that are really contributing to the current epidemic of drug overdose and overdose death in our country. And, you know, one of the things that, that it's really uh, clear about is that, you know, this is a multidimensional problem, and there are market dynamics in play, there are medical dynamics and prescribing habits, there are political influences, uh, there's a legal response. I know in New Hampshire, you know, when people, when we really started to, uh, you know, um, uh, when, when the public awareness, you know, got to a certain level, there was a, you know, a strong response from the community about, you know, what is law enforcement doing and what is, you know, what are city officials doing? And, you know, it's not just a law enforcement issue. And it took a while, but people are finally now looking at, well, okay, what are the prescribing habits of physicians in our, in our state and, and should they be regulated? Uh, should, you know, should it be harder to get a, you know, more than a few days of prescription for uh, pain medicine when you have a pain issue? So, you know, I think that there are little pockets of things happening, but, you know, but Michael, it's really, uh, it's really clear that there's no one solution, uh, but, you know, there, there's, you know, one community that can help come together and solve it, right? Right. I mean, you know, where's law enforcement? It's always a good knee-jerk reaction. Um, but this, you know, and, and it's irrefutable. I mean, it's totally irrefutable. I've been doing this for a long time. The proof is there. This is something that didn't start with illicit drugs. This is something that started with the prescribing of opiate medication for chronic pain in this country. This started with lies from pharmaceutical companies, and they've been found guilty in court. They've been criminally charged. Purdue Pharma marketed oxycodone as a safe alternative, you know, and a safe remedy of pain. It was a lie. The studies were lies. Um, and it's been proven. It's not something I'm making up or slandering. Uh, it's fact. This didn't begin in the alleys and the inner cities of America. It didn't begin with illicit drugs. Illicit drugs were there, but this began with legal pharmaceutical medications prescribed uh, by doctors who believed they were prescribing things the right way. Then shady doctors um, you know, were involved. Fraud set in, 
And so the fringe element of the medical community, because listen, the medical community, for the most part, is fantastic. They're there for us. We can trust them. But there's a ever-growing fringe element that's not to be trusted. And then there's the version of these drugs. Um, you know, gang members on the streets do not sell Percocets illegally because they manufactured them. They sell them on the streets illegally because they came from a doctor or a patient that didn't use them and sold them. So that's how they get to the streets and to gangs. But this is not something that started with an illicit uh, market, and so we shouldn't just automatically say, what the heck is law enforcement doing? Now, um, I did a movie that just came out called An American Epidemic, and in the movie I was uh, fortunate enough to have an interview with the deputy director of the DEA. And after asking him, I said, what keeps you awake at night? And he said, suburban gang migration. Uh, urban street gangs migrating to suburban and rural communities to supply heroin to a market that was created by drug dealers in lab coats. And he was talking about the medical community. And then without skipping a beat, he said, in a shadowy existence of the cartels, who will stop at nothing to push pure heroin and, and synthetic drugs into our country in volumes that the DEA has never seen. I mean, here's a guy 50 years in law enforcement, over 30 years at the DEA, a year ago, predicting what's happening exactly to the, to the T right now. We are seeing um, so urban street gangs migrating to rural and suburban communities to supply heroin and fentanyl and fentanyl-adulterated heroin to opiate-dependent and opiate-addicted um, people. And it's getting larger and larger and larger. So it's not a law enforcement only um, solution, but they have to be at the table. Many police departments across the country have really stepped up and told people, please come see us if you want help. If they have, you know, small crimes, um, it's better. Gloucester City, uh, New Jersey, in Gloucester County, in Camden County, New Jersey, uh, mm -hmm. police chief there, they have a substance abuse coordinator in the municipal court. And so when you get a kid charged with shoplifting or breaking into a car or something, and there's an obvious drug connection, they can get the person help. And if you do that, you won't have them back in with a robbery charge, you know, and going to state prison. So that's how law enforcement can step up. But what's another thing that's not being done with law enforcement and corrections is across our country, we're not treating uh, jail inmates and prison inmates with uh, you know, with substance abuse treatment. And it's very cost-effective. It's a lot cheaper than a corrections officer. We can put social workers and counselors in county jails and, and, and encourage these kids and force them in some ways with incentives to get treatment and counseling while they're in the county jail. Because if we don't, they get out and they go right back into the crime and right back into the county jail again. It's just a revolving door. So what we're doing right now is not working. And we have to change it. So um, there's, like you mentioned, there's other factors. Politicians need to do some things. We've got a federal uh, legislation sitting in Congress and in the House being debated. It's called the Comprehensive Addiction and Recovery Act. It shouldn't be debated. We need to move forward with it. We need to sign this legislation right away. And so because we're so siloed in this country, because... You know, there's a lot of ego in the way, and a lot of people have started foundations, and I want credit for this, and I want to do that. And it just, we're, we're, we're not getting to where we need to be. And I think stigma and shame gets in the way, and many people believe addiction is a moral issue. It's a moral d dilemma. It's not a disease. And, and stigma is getting in the way of, of saving lives.
you know, do you think that this is a kind of a problem that people are more, more likely to say this is someone else's thing to fix? Well, I think you um, are seeing less and less of that uh, when you see Cape Cod dealing with the kind of issues that they're dealing with. Uh, you know, Chief Nick Willard from the Manchester Police Department in New Hampshire, it was amazing. He started his presentation off with talking about how beautiful New Hampshire is, and it is, mountains and lakes and rivers. And New Hampshire is a phenomenally beautiful state, right? Great place to visit, great place to raise kids. And they're dealing with an epidemic of heroin. So is every other state in the country. Beautiful uh, North Carolina, beautiful Tennessee, West Virginia. They're dealing with epidemics. And the state's not less beautiful because we're dealing with an epidemic. We're dealing with an epidemic because it was, you know, drugs are, drugs are very evil. Drugs, drugs are bad, and there's some bad people in the world that want to make money selling drugs. Um, I do believe that it's not being um, uninformed. Uh, I believe it's more denial. I believe it's more stigma, and I believe it's more um, not being uninf- not being uh, uninformed or even misinformed, but just not wanting to talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. not my kid, uh, not in my backyard. Um, mm-hmm. Every day, even yesterday, I had a woman say, "Well, our our kids are good kids." You know, so what does that mean? The kids who are dying are bad kids. Um, this is happening to good kids. This is happening in suburban and rural America. This is happening with the soccer and lacrosse star and the honor roll student and the valedictorian. That's happening in those demographics. So if you're still saying, not my kid, it's not my backyard, it's, I don't, I once said it was being misinformed and uninformed. I now say it's being in denial and refusing to face the truth. And some people believe if we don't talk about it, it'll go away. It's not going to go away. It's just not. Right. right. Well, I think you make, a, you, you make a great point, which is that, hey, this, you know, and it just underscores addiction doesn't know any boundaries, you know, and it doesn't care about your socioeconomic status. It doesn't care about your race, the color of your skin, or what, uh, what church you go to and who you pray to, right? So it, it's a disease that can affect anybody regardless of their status. So, right. Um, you know, and, the, and the so, base of heroin is changing. I mean, you you put fentanyl and synthetic drugs in the mix. You know, it's it's a really it's a really dangerous um, you know poison. But you know, heroin is a dangerous poison in and of itself. Um, and you would have never thought the kind of people that are doing heroin now would ever do heroin. So, you know, I don't really um, I don't. There was a there was a firefighter in New Hampshire yesterday who put a tweet out there. Uh, he's carrying Narcan naloxone, as many first responder heroes across our country are doing on a daily basis, and they're reversing drug overdoses. But he had put some tweets out on Twitter yesterday saying that these, you know, these people, and I won't use the language he used, but these people are just, you know, worthless in the drug. We shouldn't be bringing these people back. That if you use drugs, um, you should die. And okay, that I don't even judge him um, because he's really, really, really in denial and really misinformed. Um, people just don't know. There's no par- there's no manual to being a parent. Well, there's certainly no manual to being the parent of a drug addict. Um, so, so where do we go from here? You know, um, I, I think I told you earlier. My nickname is Danny Downer, and uh, you know, people say don't invite me to your party because I'll bring the mood down. 
and I, I, you know, I, I laugh a little bit tongue in cheek, but um, it's because I always have bad news. This is I'm obsessed with turning this epidemic on its tail. I'm obsessed with it. I live 24 hours a day, seven days a week for this. I um, would never sleep if I didn't have to, but I work seven days a week. I travel the country. I sp I've spoken to over 2 million kids. I've spoken to hundreds of thousands of parents, community members um, all across the country, and I'm trying to collaborate and work with people, um, which is the key. I'll say that over and over and over again. Collaboration is the key. We have to stop working in silos. We have to come together. But I am obsessed with turning this around, and people still believe it's not going to happen to them. Um, it's not going to happen to them. They, you know, there's a lot of things, a lot of factors that need to happen in this country, um, but we can't just do one of them, ten of them, ten percent of them. We have to do them all. We have to do them all. So I, I'm going I'm to continue with this until God calls me home. As you said, there's no respect from addiction. It's everybody, every religion, every race, every culture. It's male and female, black and white. It doesn't matter. That's right. Park Avenue to Park Bench. That's right. Well, you know, I'm. Uh, you know, as we head into the break, you know, I'm hoping our listeners are thinking about this as, you know, something that, um, you know, we kind of talked about at the end of the last segment, which is, you know, there's. It's a huge, huge challenge, but it's not insurmountable. You know, when we come back after this break, we're going to talk about what's working. You know, how do we get people together to the table to come up with solutions? There's not just one solution. There's many solutions. And when we come back, we're going to talk about that. Okay. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Every day, you hear so much about different aspects of the health and wellness field. One day, you hear one thing, and the next day, you hear something that contradicts what you heard the day before. How do you know what's right? Try tuning in to The Cutting Edge of Health and Wellness today with Dr. Neil Nathan. Our goal is to educate and explore this field with guest experts in order to help you take control of your health and well-being. Listen Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to this episode of One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier. And I'm joined today by Michael DeLeon, who's the founder of Steered Straight, Inc., which is a nonprofit organization that's designed to carry a message to youth and young adults regarding the extreme dangers of drugs, gang involvement, and criminal activity. We're talking today, uh, the the title of our show today is Straight Talk on the Drug Epidemic, and, um, you know, we've really uh, covered uh, some really important uh, facts about what's going on in our country right now, you know, with respect to the drug epidemic, um, the the uh, the challenges that we that are faced by our communities when people are turning away uh, from the issue and assuming it's someone else's problem. And now we shift into talking about you know how do we bring people back together to say you know this is a, this is something that's affecting our entire community and how do we solve this challenge? So Michael, what tell us about some of the things that you're seeing across the country uh, you know in your work and and what are some of the promising practices that we might look to. Well, um, again, I, I don't um, want to be always a person with the bad news. I mean, I don't. I'm doing something in New Hampshire this week, and it's called Solutions. I don't. I have a, another radio show I do called Solutions. I don't want to talk about this problem without solutions. So the first, most important thing is making people aware. Um, and there's a lot of movement across the country. There's more town hall forums than I've ever seen before, more awareness than I've ever seen before. So there's more awareness and there's more people talking about it. I don't believe um, this president took addiction seriously. I don't believe he took the pharmaceutical and the heroin um, seriously at all. It was just this year he mentioned heroin and addiction really for the first time. Um, I don't believe the presidential candidates, Republican or Democrat, are talking about it enough, but they are talking about it more than they've ever talked about it before. And now the president is finally addressing it and trying to put some things into place before he leaves office. There's a huge hearing this past week in front of the Judiciary Committee of the Senate where where Senator Grassley and other senators heard testimony from Michael Botticelli, our drug czar, all the way down to a mother who lost her daughter, uh, to the amazing police chief in, in New, uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, to uh, a woman from Rhode Island who's just incredible, uh, Linda Hurley. She's been in addiction field for 20, 30 years. There's so many people that are doing things that are, that are working that we need to talk about that as much as we're talking about the problem. You know, you said earlier we can't sugarcoat this thing or gloss it over, and you're absolutely right. But we have to um, talk about the problem. So I believe we need to um, shout as loud as we possibly can about the people who are in recovery. Um, They don't need to be anonymous. They need to be proud of their recovery. And they have information, obviously, for younger generation that no one else has. Listen, I ended up like this, I almost died, or I had five friends die, or I did die, and I was brought back to life, or my life at 50 is terrible because 
I, I use drugs and I missed this opportunity and that opportunity or you know going in and talking to kids and saying listen I'm I'm 30 or I'm 25 and I'm just trying to get my life back on track because I just got out of jail and all the kids that I was in high school with hey they they're graduating with their graduate degrees and they're getting married having kids and here I am you know struggling to try to get my life back in order kids kids need to hear that they need to see that so, and I'm telling people there's really only two populations of people across the country that can make a difference and get this to change and that's kids and people in recovery and so if we can come together um, I think we can solve it so there's amazing treatment programs in the country. There's people like Westbridge doing great things. They're really, really making a difference, and they're uh, and they're uh, evidence-based programs. You know, family-centered treatment. Uh, that's why I, you know, I love Westbridge family-centered treatment for mental illness and substance use disorders. They're addressing everything. Mary Woods is an amazing, amazing woman with an amazing program. There's other programs throughout the country. There's a, a crazy um, music model in South Florida called Recovery Unplugged. They're doing fantastic things there's there's christian-based programs all around the country there's treatment that's actually working and um it, the ones that i see that are working they're not 28 days they're not short term they're not addressing an addiction and then putting someone in an iop and sober living uh without uh, without um recovery support services and relapse prevention um, education, it's got to be long-term. The longer the person stays in addiction treatment, the better off their chances are. So longer, longer-term treatment. Our insurance company has to come to the table to solve that problem because if they don't, we're not going to be able to pay for it. So education and treatment is, is paramount in changing insurance. Um, Medication-assisted treatment is something that was talked about so much this past hearing at this past week. And, you know, I'm not a fan of it personally, and everyone knows that. Um, I understand it has its place, but I think just like anything else, fraud and um, incompetence got in the way. And instead of handing out medication-assisted treatment to assist treatment, um, we're handing out medication-assisted treatment like it's a solution, like someone can just go on a Suboxone strip or go on methadone, and they're off of heroin, so their life is fixed and their problem solved. That's not true. You know, there's underlying issues to the addiction that aren't being addressed because the person's just under the impression that methadone or Suboxone is going to save them. It's called medication-assisted treatment. It's not medication assisted, you know, um, stay off of drugs. It's medication-assisted treatment, utilizing groups and counseling and other methods. So medication-assisted treatment is important, but I don't want it to get away from us. Um, and we're looking at, we need to look at alternative and holistic treatments too, like a very controversial treatment in South America called Ibogaine. Um, people want to say it's, you know, something that they, it's atypical or it's outside the box. This is something that needs to be looked at outside the box. That's why we need Vivitrol and Naltrexone implants and um, and pellets and and uh, and shots to help people in that first stage of recovery, so they can at least stay off the heroin while they're working on their addiction. And I think above most is we need treatment in county jails and state prisons, real treatment programs, maybe peer-to-peer -peer programs, but it, they needs it needs to happen. We also need to change, and there's some great movement across the country at this, we need to change the education that doctors get when they're mm -hmm. in medical school. Many people don't realize that most of the cost of medical schools across the country 
um, are funded is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. Seventy percent of the FDA's budget comes from the pharmaceutical industry. The pharmaceutical industry funds some programs out there, like Partnership for Drug Free Kids. Um, I want them to fund prevention programs, but I don't want them to control the message. And last year, the FDA told doctors across the country that they could prescribe OxyContin to 11-year-old children, and that's absurd. We're prescribing now, according as policy of the FDA, we're prescribing OxyContin to 11 to 16-year-old children. That is ludicrous. And Partnership for Drug-Free Kids did not come out and say anything about it. And I believe that's because their message is controlled by the pharmaceutical industry. We right. can't allow this anymore. We can't. We've got to educate the educators. We've got to educate the doctors. And we've got to educate the public about addiction. Um, I do I well, believe Michael, me, another thing I, I see that's fantastic is recovery high schools and collegiate programs in colleges. In New Jersey, Governor Christie signed legislation a few months ago mandating that if 25% of the college students live on campus, they must provide recovery, sober living to college students. We can, in this country, we take a 16, 15, even 14, 17-year-old kid who's suffering and needs treatment. We send him away to a treatment program, and then we bring him right back to the same high school, same environment that he was in when he got his addiction. They, they don't stay clean. These kids relapse instantly. So we need recovery high schools, places that are safe, sober, and that uh, you know, kids who are in recovery are in school getting their education. And part of their education is, um, you know, I, I won't say we should send uh, you know, teenagers to 12-step programs, but part of their education is treatment education, recovery, understanding of recovery. They're in recovery from addiction. We need to do anything in our power to make sure they stay in recovery from addiction. Um, probably the most yeah. important thing, uh, we, need to, we need to put naloxone in every pharmacy in this country, Narcan, naloxone. Um, there's states like Arizona where you it's illegal to carry naloxone. In Missouri, it's illegal to carry naloxone. We, we have to make naloxone readily available for anybody who wants it. I believe doctors should hand it out when they're prescribing an opiate. And we need good Samaritan laws in every state because most heroin addicts use with another heroin addict, but when they're found alone, if they've overdosed, they're, they're found alone because the other person is panicked and has run off. They don't want to get in trouble. And so I think naloxone, 50 states, Good Samaritan Law, 50 states. Um, once we bring someone back from a drug overdose with naloxone, I believe in civil protection. I believe in civil commitment and putting those people in uh, detox against their will like we would a suicide victim. And some of them will still come out out of that detox wanting to go get high, but maybe half of them uh, who would have went and got high will come out of it the uh, detox, um, understanding that they died, and maybe yeah. they need treatment, and they'll go. Please? So maybe a light bulb you know, will go off. And I'll tell you, um, you know, if we, but if one we thing I'll just, last thing I'll mention as far as solutions that I think is the most important we need to do right now is something called the Prescription Drug Monitoring Program, and we need a federal program. Every state in the country needs to talk to every other state in the country, like we do with driver's licenses, that if someone goes into a doctor and goes to a pharmacy to, fulfill, to fill a prescription for opiates, we need to know about that so they can't go into a second doctor and a third doctor and a fourth doctor. It's called doctor shopping. So we need to stop that practice systemically. 
And the only way to do that is to have every doctor, every dentist, every EMT, I mean EMT, every emergency room, every veterinarian on the prescription drug monitoring program, and it needs to be a federal program, and it needs to be in real time. So as soon as you walk out the doctor's office, you're on the database now that you just picked up an opiate. Um, and so another state wouldn't get in the way of that and, you know, prescribe another opiate to someone who's out there understanding what they're, what they're doing. They're looking for drugs. So New Jersey has a great prescription drug monitoring program. Many other states are joining it. Uh, yeah. But we need a federal database program. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you could be standing in, in Pennsylvania and you and have one foot in New Jersey and in two seconds be in Delaware and, you know, you could be picking up prescriptions in any one of those states. Right, and think about New England, how it's, you know, states yeah. are smaller and you go from state to yeah. state to state. Pennsylvania, yeah. as you mentioned, has a program and the budget didn't pass in Pennsylvania. It's not funded. The database is ready to go, but the but the state um, has not funded it. So Pennsylvania has no prescription drug monitoring. The law has been passed, but they haven't funded it. So many, the whole uh, eastern, the whole western coast of New Jersey butts up against the entire eastern coast of Pennsylvania, and all you got to do is go from state to state, and you got right. multiple doctors. So. Yeah. so a lot of great ideas about how we can you know, work together and solve this challenge. And when we come back after the break, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the role of media and film, uh, and, you know, how that can be part of the solution as well. And we'll be right back after the break. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. We all want to live a healthy, vibrant life. With so many toxins in our world, it becomes an uphill battle. Inflammation is the premise of all disease and comes from four sources of toxins. With a proper understanding of toxins as well as proper detoxification and nutrition, disease can be avoided. Tune in to Whole Healthy Living with Sharon Brennan and learn how you can live a clean, whole, and healthy life in a toxic world. Start your journey Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is your guest host, Jonathan Ruthier, and I'm joined today by Michael DeLeon, who's the founder of Steered Straight, a nonprofit organization that is carrying a message to youth and young adults about addiction, about gang involvement, and criminal activity. So, uh, you know, Michael, uh, we've, we've covered a lot of issues you know, related to our drug epidemic and, and talking about solutions. You know, one thing that, that appears to me that our public... Uh, because there's so much more awareness right now of what's going on, that this is really, uh, the, the public is, is ripe for uh, a healthy dose of, of media, of film, of, um, you know, exposure to the, the, the issue of addiction as well as the reality of recovery and what it takes to get there and, and how we can all band together to fight uh, the influences that, you know, that continue to uh, promote addiction. So tell us a little bit about some of the work that you're doing in, in terms of film and, and what are some of your goals with, with, that, uh, with those projects? Well, I um, mentioned earlier I lost some kids. I was counseled to a heroin overdose. So you know, their story became part of my story. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to go out there and, um, and tell their story and a documentary that I made called Kids Are Dying, uh, and people can get it at kidsaredying.com, kids, A-R-E, kidsaredying.com, and it's a 50-minute documentary uh, about how we got into this uh, mess, how did we, you know, how did beautiful, affluent, suburban, rural kids find themselves hooked on heroin down in the middle of the inner city. Um, There's a 45-minute solution piece also after the... um, after the movie. So I don't want to talk about the problem without talking about the solutions. And so it really, um, it really focused on New Jersey, obviously. And so I wanted to bring a national perspective. So I literally uh, went across the country. I visited 40 states. I interviewed over 500 people. And I made a documentary called An American Epidemic. And that was taking kids are dying uh, to a national perspective and a national level. And I, I showed that it exists everywhere. And so it, they're really good. They're not these hardcore needle-in-the-arm full of drama uh, stuff that some people might see. We don't need that. Um, that's not what's needed. We need people to understand how we got here, how bad it is, and most importantly, how we get out of here, how we get this problem solved. And I believe both films of mine explain that. I have five more films that are coming out this year. I have two in post-production right now, um, all related to this, different aspects of it, how it relates to human trafficking, how our veterans are are, um, treated and not um, treated the way they're supposed to be. Um, And I think the country, as you said, is ripe. It's time to go into our schools systemically with new information. It's time to go at them with everything that we've got. It's time to... To, to talk to the general public about how bad the problem is. And, you know, it's, it's, it's media-related. I'll, I'll say this. Um, I believe that we need to remove pharmaceutical advertisements from our television sets. 
We're the only country in the world. Some people say two countries. It used to be two countries. New Zealand had direct-to-consumer marketing of pharmaceuticals, but no longer. Canadians see American TV, so they see the commercials, but we're the only country in the world that puts pharmaceutical direct-to-consumer marketing on our televisions. And what that does is it creates a serious problem that people, especially kids, think prescription pills are safe. And I know opiates aren't advertised on TV, but now we've got an opiate, a constipation drug uh, advertised on TV. And so it just, it just minimizes the seriousness of opiates. Oh, you're a little constipated from your opiate. Here, take this. It's an opiate constipation pill. We we put depression medication. We put anti-anxiety medication on TV. We put uh, um, barbiturates. I mean, we just, we're putting too much on TV and we are not, we are a pill society. And until yeah. we know, you know, stop becoming a pill society, we're no longer a pill society. We're always going to look to a pill for the solution. We need real information to get to parents. We need real information to get to kids. And I get frustrated sometimes. I do a parent academy free. I go into the school. We do the schools. And then at night we offer to come talk to the parents for free. Sometimes I've gotten three parents out. Three. You know, how do you have a district with 20 5,000 kids and you have three parents show up to a heroin form. It's just it's just unheard of. Um, right. So we need more media, more exposure, more information, and we need it in a bigger way, and it's got to yeah. be solution-oriented. Right. Well, and thank God for those three, but doesn't that speak to the issue of stigma, you know, uh, and uh, and the challenges that, you know, that communities are facing? I mean, it's, you know, people still you know, are struggling to tune into the issue in a lot of places. Right. I mean, it's everyone's affected. Uh, I had an amazing guy from Kentucky saying one of my films, you know, you, you, you know it. You know a heroin addict. You just don't know you know one. And, uh, you know, obituaries, I don't ever criticize parents for what they do or don't put in an obituary, but... You know, there's a lot of suddenly died at home that, that was a heroin overdose. There's a lot of kidney failures and died of pneumonia-related illnesses that, that, are, that are drug overdoses. There's some car accidents. I had a girl in New, New Hampshire. We were sending her to a detox on Monday. She was narcan nine times. She graduated from New High School, second in her class, um, and full ride to, I think, New Hampshire University. But the next year, she was dead. Narcan nine times over a year. And uh, she died in a car accident. Her cause of death was, uh, you know, broken neck in a car accident. She had the needle in her arm. It wasn't classified as a car accident. I mean, a drug overdose. It was classified as a car accident. Well, she wouldn't have crashed her car if she wasn't shooting heroin. Um, we, we, We really, really, really... I think the problem is much worse than it than it's uh, being talked about. Our baby boomer generation is is being devastated by this. Baby boomers, uh, to, to a huge degree, are um, are dying of drug uh, poisoning, and um, I don't I don't think that all of it is accidental. I think a lot of it's suicide. A lot of it's overdose. You know. Right. Right. So, Michael, you know. Um you know, as we are getting to the end of the show, I just want to uh, thank you again for coming on. I mean, we've we've covered a lot of ground in terms of um, you know our, our drug epidemic in this country, and I know our listeners would be really interested in learning about more about your work and how they can get information about that. 
Well, I um, run a nonprofit organization called Steered Straight, past tense of Steer, S-T-E-E-R-E-D, Steered Straight. People might remember Scared Straight. Well, you can't scare these kids, you know. Uh, I'm trying to steer them towards making positive choices, more positive than the ones that I've uh, you know, made and many people are making their life, but we need to um, get into these schools. So I go into schools across the country. Uh, I go in for free if they don't have the funding, but Steered Straight uh, is my mission, and I'm trying to educate students and parents alike. And then off that Steered Straight website, they can see everything that we're doing. There is a website alone for the Kids Are Dying movie. They can order it right then. It comes out. On, it comes to them right on DVD right away. We send it right back. So Steered Straight is my main website, but kidsaredying.com is where they can order the Kids Are Dying uh, website and also an American Epidemic movie.com, uh, or that's on the Kids Are Dying website as well. And then they can see the five other films that I have coming out. I've got a recovery music CD where uh, I've met artists all around the country who wrote recovery music that I that I uh, put in the movie, and I put a CD out. Um, some Grammy-nominated uh, artists are on there. Hall of Fame guitarist Ricky Bird is on there. Um, so people can order music, recovery music. They can order the films. They can get educated. They can share them with their friends and family, and it'll, it'll make a huge difference. They'll really open a lot of eyes. Fantastic. Well, thank you again for coming on the show today. Uh, thank you for your passion, your commitment to um, to the field and to helping young people in our country uh, you know, have a better shot at recovery and success. And to all our listeners out there, I want to thank you again for tuning in to One Hour at a Time, and we look forward to having you back here next Monday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One Hour at a Time. We'll see you next week.